All right, good morning, everyone. Hello, how are you going? I'm Punchy. I'm one of the ministers. I'm going to pray for us and we'll begin. Let's pray. Father, thanks for church. Thanks for this time to be here. Thanks for uh, this opportunity to focus on you. Lord, whatever week we've had, whatever day we've already had, we just want to give this time to you now. Please clear our minds and still our hearts. We long to hear from you. Father, we ask that your spirit would be at work in us. Uh, Give us understanding and convict us, Lord, and empower us to change. Thank you for this example in this story of Joseph, and we pray that we would grow this morning through him, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we uh, ended on that devastating turn of events. Joseph was sold into slavery sent to Egypt, uh, and that... Right, did I just become really loud? I don't know. What? Can you hear me, Tony? Anyway, sorry. Um, and that, that robe, right, that was full of colour, full of life, it was dipped in blood, ripped to shreds, uh, and it was evidence of his death. And it's kind of symbolic for Joseph's life, because he enters that's the story full of promise. God had spoken to him, given him dreams, expectations, only to just be so cut down completely and intimately by his very own brothers right that was last week it's shocking really that that's an understatement and so what is next what could possibly could things get any worse and how will joseph remain faithful uh, in the midst of such devastation so we'll walk through this passage if you keep your bibles open and see what happens next so the scene is set in verse one Joseph, he is now in Egypt, and he's bought by a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar's no average Joe. He's one of Pharaoh's officials. He's one of the captains of the guard. He is the captain of the guard. And so here we need to picture someone of very high rank. Okay, Potiphar, he's powerful, he's wealthy, he's influential. And surprisingly, as a slave, Joseph begins to prosper. So verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered. Verse 3, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. So Stefan mentioned last week, this is a major theme in Joseph's story. We'll continue to see God's sovereign hand at work in Joseph's life and we'll come back to that. But what I think is interesting here is that God's hand on Joseph was so evident that even Potiphar, could see it, right? Potiphar, who would have known very little of the God of the Bible, he could see that God with, with Joseph. It means that Joseph, not only was he a hard worker with integrity, but he also had an overt faith. You know, it was obvious, it was plain to see, so plain that uh, Potiphar could see God through Joseph. It means that uh, Joseph must have lived in such a way that these successes, he would have continually pointed back to God's providence over his life. And that, I think, is worth highlighting, right? Because it's it's easy, isn't it, for us to want to take credit for our successes? But Joseph here, he understands his success. It's not his own, but it's a gift from the hand of God. And this favour, it prompts Potiphar to entrust Joseph with great responsibility. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything, except the food he ate. So it's pretty amazing where Joseph ends up, considering from where he's come to now he's in this high position of responsibility 
and trust. And then the plot thickens. Continue in verse 6. Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said to him, come to bed with me. Every time I read that, I want to do it in an Arnold Schwarzenegger voice. (laughs) Come to bed with me if you want to live, you know? You did a better job, Stuart. That's not how it's meant to be read. But Potiphar's wife, she makes quite an entrance here, doesn't she? Right? We might want to picture a wealthy woman, well-dressed, fine clothes, rich jewelry, perfume. This is a woman who's more experienced than Joseph, confident, forward. She knows what she wants and she's used to getting it. Not only because she's married to one of the most influential men in the kingdom, but we can hear it in her proposition. There's no subtlety there. No games, she's direct. Come to bed with me. Now put yourself in Joseph's shoes. As a 17-year-old boy, you were betrayed by your older brothers. The very ones who were meant to watch over you and protect you sold you. And you still feel the hurt of that. Their scorn ringing in your ears, cutting you down. You'll never be anything. You can still hear them saying, you're not a man, you're a boy. And now you're in a foreign country. Not only does that mean you've got little to no accountability, but you're a Hebrew. That means you're an outcast, looked down on by the Egyptians, and you're single. You're not married. And in fact, you have no real prospects of ever marrying because all you are is this household slave. And you're a man. You have desires, and she's a woman, she has desires. And you're together in this house... No one else is around and you have this proposition, you have this opportunity and after all, you're a slave. Why not have a moment of freedom, a moment of pleasure? What would you do? How would you respond? What would you say? Those aren't hypothetical questions, are they? Are they very real questions for Joseph and for us? Because we all face temptation. Moments where our faithfulness in God is put to the test, particularly when it comes to sex. Of all the desires, I think, that cry out within us to want to deny God, go our own way, I think none is more powerful or more vocal in us than sex. Compounded only by the world we live in today. From the sexual revolution of the 60s, commercialization of sex and the digital revolution, sex is everywhere. Media, marketing, movies, porn. Research shows we're now being uh, exposed to or finding out about or having sex younger and with more partners than previous generations. And those stats were confirmed for me last year in the conversations I had with people following our By Design series. Remember where we covered marriage and dating singleness, sex, and porn. Those stats don't just reflect the world out there, but right here. And so what does all that mean for us? It means that it's going to be very difficult for us to remain faithful to God in this hyper-sexualized world. It means it's going to be difficult to remain faithful when you're dating someone and you feel that pressure to go along with what the culture is doing and saying. It's going to be difficult to remain faithful when you're home alone. You have access to a computer, smartphone, internet. It's going to be difficult to remain faithful when you're married, but feeling frustrated or neglected 
Maybe there's a, a lack of sexual intimacy and you meet someone who's attractive, interesting, who makes you feel special. What do you do with that? Well, what did Joseph do? How did he respond to this attractive proposition? Two words. Verse 9, he refused. Two simple but life-saving words, he refused. And not just once, if you look down at verse 10, Potiphar's wife came to him day after day after day with the same proposition, come to bed with me, come to bed with me, come to bed with me. And every time it was no, 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 he refused. Now, why is that? I mean, day after day, given his circumstances, all he'd been through and this attractive proposition, how did his resolve not eventually wear away? Because I'm sure we all know what we're supposed to do. When facing temptation, we are supposed to refuse. Like Nobody's surprised by that. That's not news to anyone, I don't think. And yet still so many of us fail and fall. And I wonder if that's because we've been told what we're supposed to do, to refuse, but not why. Why should a young man deny such an offer? Why should a woman who's maybe a bit neglected in her marriage, why shouldn't she take up that proposition? Why should a young couple save sex for marriage? You know, why shouldn't they be able to express their love for one another that way? Why, when you're stressed out of your brain, under the pump at work, suffocating at home, why not indulge in a moment of freedom and pleasure alone on your computer? Well, I think there's plenty of reasons we can learn here from Joseph, but I just want to kind of break it down to two. First, Joseph refused out of loyalty to Potiphar. Verse verse 8, With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Joseph understands that what Potiphar's wife's proposing isn't just a little encounter between the two of them. It has serious implications for at least one other, her husband, his master. And this would be a betrayal of the loyalty and the honour and the trust that's been built up between Joseph and Potiphar. For a brief moment of pleasure, this would cause deep and lasting pain. Now, it may be obvious, but if today you find yourself in something of Joseph's situation, there's this opportunity and it's becoming more and more appealing, well, are you aware of the pain you'll cause? Have you asked yourself what this decision will mean, not only for your happiness, but for others? What this will mean for that person's husband, that person's wife, for your family, your husband, your wife. Sexual temptation of this nature, it's never just contained between the two. It always involves others. It always has consequences. It always brings pain, deep and lasting pain. The second reason Joseph refuses temptation is because he's knew that his actions wouldn't just hurt others, but also God himself. Verse 9 continues, No one is greater in this house than I am. My master's withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now, we might expect Joseph to finish that line with and sin against my master. 
But he doesn't. He says, and sin against God. And it's because we see here in Joseph that he's got this God-centered view of things. And particularly a God-centered view of right and wrong. And so he calls a spade a spade. This proposal, it is a wicked thing. First and foremost, because it's sin. It is a rejection of God. Now, why is that? Why is it first and foremost sin and not about Potiphar? Well, we find in the Bible that God's design for sex is between one man and one woman in marriage. Sex is that complete expression of oneness, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Sex binds a man and a woman together as one flesh. Tim Keller says, sex is how a man says to a woman and how a woman says to a man, I belong completely and exclusively to you. That's why over and over the Bible places sex within the promises of marriage. When you're prepared to surrender everything to another person and commit to them for the rest of your life, that's when you're ready for sex. And I think we can celebrate that. We can feel good and embrace that. Because here we can see God's design for sex is good. It's for our best, it's for our enjoyment. That's why Joseph refuses. He understands that sex with Potiphar's wife would be a rejection of God's original design. Not only would it empty sex of its true meaning and of God's intended purpose, but it dishonors God. And Joseph clearly loved God. We see that in his response. He loved God and he knew that God loved him. And so he chooses to honour God, trusting in God's design that God's way is the best way, which actually it's quite incredible that we can actually see that in Joseph, a slave boy at 17, alone now in a foreign land. He'd already so established this God-centred foundation, despite everything he'd been through, despite the power of this temptation. Day after day, he said, no. Because let's just imagine for a sec someone else in this same situation, facing this temptation. They could quite easily, I think, use Joseph's uh, reasoning in verses 8 and 9 to come to the opposite conclusion, like this. With me in charge, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house, so I couldn't possibly be found out. Everything he owns is entrusted to me except his wife, Why shouldn't I have her too? He obviously doesn't care for her. He's never around. He'll never know. Surely I deserve this moment of happiness after all I've been through. Can you see how given the exact same set of circumstances, very easily someone could choose to go this way and someone could choose to go that way. When facing temptation, some will stand and some will fall. I think that difference being is that God-centered foundation, having a disposition that says, the God who made heaven and earth, who made man and woman, who gifted us with sex, actually knows how best for us to enjoy it. And so I'm going to choose his way. I know he loves me. I know he wants what's best for me. And so I'm going to trust him and go his way. Now, there's no doubt many of us will all right now face sexual temptation, married, single, doesn't matter. You will. And one of the main differences, I think, between those who fall and those who stand is this God-centered view of things. It's God-centered view of right and wrong that becomes so ingrained into who you are and then for how you live so that when that proposition comes along, 
You don't see a moment of pleasure. You don't see an expression of love or a naughty little self-indulgence. But like Joseph, see it as it is. Call a spade a spade. It is a wicked thing. It is sin against God and refuse. And practically speaking, I think that comes about as a result of an active, ongoing, growing walk and relationship with God. Right? It's not a matter of Sunday school rules and it's not a matter of willpower, gritting your teeth and doing it. But I think it is the result of a transformed will empowered by the Holy Spirit, slowly, gradually, inch by inch, changing your heart, renewing your mind, transforming your will so that when faced with that proposition, you don't see it and you don't desire it for what it is, but you actually want what God wants. You no longer want sin, but you want what God wants for you. And that takes time and investment. But that is why I think Joseph resists. In fact, in verse 10, it says he even uh, refuses to be near her. He doesn't just say no, he avoids sin at all costs. So he doesn't flirt with sin, doesn't see how close he can get to the fire. Right? He, he literally runs. In verse 11, his boundaries are crossed. He and Potiphar's wife, they're caught home alone and she grabs him. And so Joseph literally runs, which makes me kind of picture that Roadrunner and Coyote cartoon. Joseph just smoke bombs out there. Now, what would it mean for us to actually deal with temptation in that way? What would it look like for us to have that kind of conviction and then response to bolt? For some, it may mean you stop doing business trips alone because you know it places you in that position of temptation and compromise. So either you change jobs or acquire a workmate or your wife to join you. For some, it might mean breaking up, boyfriend, girlfriend, because it doesn't matter how much you talk about this, you continue to fall. For some, it might mean moving the computer from your bedroom to the living room. And if that doesn't work, take it out the backyard and smash it with a shovel. Pretty sure Jesus says if the internet calls you to sin, cut it off. <laughs> All right? And that sounds extreme, those examples, but what we see in Jesus and what we see in Joseph, it's extreme. When temptation is there, run. So Joseph runs, it's good. But Potiphar's wife has his cloak, very bad. And she then spins the story, and now it is Joseph who propositioned her, and so in verse 20, Joseph is thrown in prison by Potiphar, which now raises a very important but difficult truth. It means what we see here is that as Christians, sometimes our obedience may make things much, much worse before they ever get better. Right? Joseph, had he slept with Potiphar's wife, maybe things would have gotten easy. Maybe she could have helped him get her early release. But he maintains his integrity. He chooses obedience. And once again, he's in the bottom of a pit. Not only now is he in prison, but he's in prison, having been falsely accused and condemned for the very thing that he refused and did not do. As Christians, we need to establish it in our minds now so that if we do find ourselves in something of this kind of position, 
will be ready? What will you do? Will you choose comfort or obedience? Will you choose courage or compromise? Right, we see Joseph, he would rather have his name and reputation dragged through the mud, spend life in prison, than dishonour the name and reputation of God. Now that takes some serious courage and conviction, doesn't it? Well, the story chapter draws to a close, the way it began. In prison, Joseph begins to thrive, just as he did in Potiphar's house. Why? Because God is with Joseph in prison, just as he was with Joseph in Potiphar's house. And this presence of God, it's not only a sign of God's comfort and providence, but it's also a sign that even in this moment, God's will is unfolding around him. Now, I've had a pretty rough week. We had a sewage explosion at our house on Tuesday night, so it's been pretty crap. (laughs) But even so, right, it's nothing. What we had this week is nothing on Joseph. I think if I were Joseph, I would be blowing up. Right? God, isn't enough that I was sold as a slave by my family. And now I try to honour you, I try to live with integrity, and this is what I get. Now everyone thinks I'm a disgusting creep. Potiphar wants me dead, and now I'm in prison. And in those days, prison, it's no colour TVs, no meal three times a day, cold and dark, Chains of iron and hands and feet, you're thrown in there to be forgotten and die. I'd be done. But let's just think about this moment and how defining it actually is. Joseph's obedience gets him thrown in prison, but it's there that he meets a cupbearer and a baker. And in the next chapter, 40, these guys have vivid dreams which they don't understand, but Joseph, empowered by God, interprets them, which leads then to the cupbearer's release, who's Pharaoh's cupbearer. And so then when Pharaoh starts having these same vivid dreams, the cupbearer remembers Joseph, who's now been in prison for years. And the cupbearer goes there, brings him to Pharaoh. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. He's made prime minister of Egypt, which leads to the salvation of thousands of Egyptians. And not only that, but the saving of Israel. Joseph's own family come to be with him and therefore the descendants of Abraham and that promise of God to bless all nations through them is saved. All of which should make us consider just how significant Joseph's temptation and his refusal really was. It's not just about his integrity, but it's a huge moment in a much, much bigger story. Now, let's suppose you took Joseph aside at 17 and said to him, I'm going to ask something really difficult of you, right? You're young, you're spoiled, you're a little bit naive, but I'm going to ask you to face years and years and years of difficulty. The majority of your life, you're going to be sold into slavery, brutalized, ignored, tempted, thrown into prison, And I want you to be faithful through all of it because my plan for you is that out of your obedience, you'll eventually be brought into a position where in the mystery of God's sovereignty, you'll not only save thousands of people, but you'll save the Messianic line, 
the bloodline of Jesus Christ, who himself will choose obedience. In the face of temptation, in the trial, he'll choose obedience. He will be falsely accused, condemned and crucified for the sins of the world. And therefore, in a way, Joseph, all of history will in God's providence be transformed by your obedience. Now, suppose you said all that to Joseph back before anything had started. He may then have committed to it with some kind of heroism, a bit of male bravado. But the fact is, he didn't know a thing. He didn't know anything. Sitting in prison, all those years in slavery, he didn't know how it was going to work out. And yet he was faithful anyway. We know how the story ends. He didn't. And yet he chose obedience. In 1982, a young man named Rob Barry moved with his wife to Menai, began a church in their home, which then moved to Bengal Primary School, and then to this property where we are today because of an amazingly generous woman named Daisy Hill who gave it freely to Rob and this church so long as it was always for church. And over the years, this church, Mena Anglican, has seen hundreds, thousands really, come through the doors hear the good news of Jesus, many come to faith in him, growing in that faith and then going out into Menai and Australia and the rest of the world with that good news of Jesus that they first heard here through this church. Now suppose you took Rob aside in 1982 and told him to start a church in Menai and said to him, it's going to be hard, you'll have moments of doubt, you'll question God's plan There'll be times when you want to give up. But in 38 years' time, thousands will have come through those doors. They'll have heard the good news of Jesus and be saved by that news. And they'll grow in that faith through that sovereign providence of God and through the faithful work of this church that you'll plan. Now, knowing how it would all work out, Back then, before anything started, you know, maybe that would give Rob a whole lot of peace and resolve, particularly in those darker moments. But he didn't know. Right? And he did it anyway. Didn't know what would be here today, and yet he was faithful. See, when we read this story, this chapter in Joseph's life, we need to see it in wider context of his life story, but in the even wider story of God's salvation plan from the beginning to the end because quite honestly we just don't know enough we can't look ahead to know what will be and will not be and in a way that is what it means to live by faith we trust God with the outcome and what he wants from us is obedience in the moments day by day he empowers us he walks with us and he has promised to be at work for our good and so we trust him and obey him with our decisions, with our relationships, even with your sex life. Because who knows what God might be doing. Your refusal in the face of that temptation, like Joseph, might be the responsible for the saving of thousands. Now, you don't know. We just don't know. But we know that our God is sovereign. We know that he is at work. We know that he's good. And so we know that we can trust him And we can leave the outcome with him.
Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we want to praise you. Our sovereign, all-powerful God. You are transcendent above all. And yet you're just so intimately involved in our lives. And we marvel at the way that you are at work on those huge scales, but also in the decisions that happen day by day. We see this in Joseph's life, that in the mystery of your sovereignty and because of your your love and your goodness, you manage to turn wicked and evil and injustice for your glory, for your good, for our good. And so we just... We just come before you today. We want to ask that you grow our faith. Please increase our trust in you. As we think about this topic of sexual temptation, uh, we confess that we've fallen in this area. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that in him we can know forgiveness that none of us need to walk out of here today burdened with guilt, but knowing that we are free from sin and made new by him and empowered by your Holy Spirit to live differently, that when we come in the face of temptation, we, like Joseph, can say no and refuse and get out of there. Please, Lord, we pray that you would be so changing our hearts, our wills, our minds, so that when we come up against sin, it would no longer look desirable to us. It would no longer appeal, it would no longer draw us in, but we would see it for what it is, we would see it as you see it, and that we would run away. And that in that, Lord, we would bring you glory. And Lord, even if there are hard consequences for choosing obedience we pray that you would just give us the faith and give us the strength and give us the courage to still choose obedience anyway we pray this in jesus name amen